All right, Frank, let's get it out of the way. We're tooting and tweeting our way into the future. We're both on Mastodon, been on Mastodon. We're just going to get out of the way. We're there. If you're a Patreon subscriber, you can hear me rant for 45 minutes. Frank heard me rant. What did you think, Frank? Uh, I think if there was ever a time to become a Patreon person, this is the sell. This is the hard sell. James did have an epic rant. You really all need to hear this if it hasn't been turned into a rap video or something yet already. Uh, I hope that it only stays in our Patreon subscribers. I hope I don't get in trouble for anything that I said, but I have many opinions. I've been vocal on the Masto uh, about my opinions. And if you're following me there at James Montemagno at some domain name that no one will be able to figure out, then you will have found me on the Internet uh, where I'm at. But that's not what this podcast is a Frank, uh, about, Frank, because I refuse to talk about the state of Twitter and Macedon for another 45 minutes. Is that OK with you if we, we skip over it? Okay. For, for I, this week, it might be beneficial to your mental health to skip over it for the rest of this week, but I I, I would enjoy a repeat. So I'm just going to have to listen to the Patreon episode on repeat. So, <laughs> what should we talk about instead if we're not going to talk about the uh, topic du jour? Well, I think that's really fascinating. This week of all topics that we could be talking about is actually the mechanisms in which we deploy our applications to the App Store and specifically signing our applications. Now, for many a decade, uh, if you will, <laughs> we've been developing this <laughs> for way too long. For many, yeah. for many a decade now at this point, we have provisioning profiles and certificates. And I was just at VS Live in Orlando, and I still got the same exact question that I got probably a decade ago, which is, what do I need to do to actually publish my application and get yeah. it onto a device for iPhones and things like that. Do I need a Mac? Do I need this thing? And the answer really hasn't changed, which is, yes, you still need certificates. You need provision <laughs> profiles. And guess what? You need to renew those every single year. And it's kind of crazy that it hasn't adjusted and it's become so unanimous and so unanimous. Is that the word I'm looking for? Synonymous, anonymous, fantastic. Synonymous. That's the word. Synonymous with frustration from developers yeah. where fascinatingly enough, if I toggle over to uh, Windows and uh, Android development, I feel like it's not that situation at all as the process has been uh, very streamlined into the future. And it seems like you, Frank, are going through the same exact situation uh, presently. Yeah, this is this is like part 30 of Frank finally gets his apps into CI. Hi, <laughs> welcome back. Hi, it's friends. A great, yeah. <laughs> um, so I've put a lot of effort into all my iOS and Mac apps getting built and not just built because, yeah, CI is easy. It's the CD that's hard. It's signing your app, getting them uploaded to the right place and all that stuff. And you inflicted this curse on me, um, this little nagging idea that all my apps should be a CI CD. And in the long run, it's great because when you upload code, you know whether you broke something, it's very obvious, and you can deploy anytime you want. You can push out versions anytime you want. However, the road has not been super simple, and I never actually got around to doing the Android versions of my apps. And I had a lot of experience with the iOS. iOS is such a pain because you have to get the certificate, get the provisioning profile, do change your project in gross ways uh, in order to get it to actually sign and build. And then even then, I'm still having trouble with my Mac builds. They're still not exactly 100 million percent right. But I 
really wanted to release the Android version of iCircuit, the new version 1.12. And I had, I, I wasn't just going to go to Visual Studio and hit archive like I normally do, which is very pleasant and very easy. There's a GUI, there's buttons to click. They tell you if you did something wrong. No, I decided to do it in CI CD because of you. And so wrote my GitHub action, but it actually turned out uh, pretty easy, I would say. I'll get into details, but yeah. Is it worth it? Yeah. Is it painful? It's still a little painful. Yeah, you know, I recently have been doing a lot of development for iOS and specifically from the Windows machine. And this is one thing that in .NET 6 and .NET 7 surprisingly has really made my life even more enjoyable because yeah. it's very stable is this iOS local deployment. And this is a really cool feature of being a .NET developer building iOS apps. And this is something you don't live through because you're you're mostly on a Mac. However, I'm mostly on a Windows machine. Now I do have a Mac. It's sitting delectably, delectably, <laughs> delectably, no, <Nope>. deliciously. <laughs> it's a very pleasing device to look at, which is my MacBook Air. But the new MacBook Air even more delightful to look at. But my rose gold MacBook Air is a pleasant sight to look at, and I love it, and I do use it often. However, I do love my Surface laptop four <laughs> and I love my main desktop machine, which is windows. But this experience has gotten so good recently and so seamless that when I just take my iOS device and I plug it into my windows machine and I hit debug, it just loads my application directly onto my iPhone. And I've been doing this recently in all my workshops. I've been debugging, um, a bunch of people's source code, um, looking at different bugs. I've been looking at different uh, third-party libraries and it has been absolutely amazing. And what we aren't realizing what's happening behind the scenes is it's doing all that uh, shenanigans, that gobbledygook <laughs> ridiculousness for you. Uh, because in development mode, uh, a lot of that stuff can be obfuscated uh, for you by the tooling, where at publishing time, it is really in your face, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I would say. So... Uh, when you plug in your iPhone, this little hot restart, that's what it's actually called, but I call it iOS local deployment, pops up and it says, hey, just you know, uh, pick your Apple developer account. And you say, okay, this one. And then it just goes and it does a bunch of things behind the hood for you automatically. And then it just deploys. And that's, that's the life I'd love to live. Now, one thing I don't know, Frank, is, and, and you may know, because I know you did a lot of Swift and Swift UI um, um, development. Um, when those things were coming out and still do you, you like to play with all the toys mm -hmm. oh, yeah. is has anything in Xcode, um, solved. I don't think you've played with the new Xcode, um, cloud build thing yet, or maybe you have, I don't know. I'd love to talk to you about that, but I don't know if anything on the iOS front maybe has solved some of those, um, issues when it comes to actually deploying your app to the app store. Is it still the same issue of creating search, creating provisioning profiles, and creating all these things. Yeah, I would say it's definitely improved from the early days. Uh, no, actually, I don't have any experience with uh, Xcode Cloud. Mm. With yes. Yeah, okay. Uh, so, sorry. Um, I'll try it one of these days. I do like to play with the shiny toys. Uh, certificates and all that has gotten 
better with some scare quotes around it because of course nothing can ever be easy in this game right like it it won't be fun if things were easy so some funny things are you know you go to your project you set your team i think visual studio has gotten to this point uh you give them access to your developer account uh, the nice thing is there's a little button to go look at your certificates. So you can see what certificates are in your machine. If there's no certificates, you press a button that says, make me a certificate. And it does that. Um, once you're there, as long as you select your team in your app, you hit the play button. It does a little cert check in the beginning and usually can generate a provisioning profile if it needs to and then download it and then install it oh my god people it's so ugly behind the scenes you don't want about this it can do all of those things and it is pretty smooth um sometimes if i'm actually having trouble with my uh provisioning stuff i'll actually go into xcode and create a project with the same um build uh, bundle id as my normal project but it's very rare that I have to do that. It's, um, um, but that's a testament to their tools that I can just go in there and do that, hit play, and that f- usually fixes my <laughs> provisioning profiles. It's usually the provisioning profile. The certs are easy. You, you yeah. need a cert, everyone. Get a cert. It expires. It's annoying. I wish they would give you certs that lasted more than a year, but that's how it is, and just refresh them from time to time. It's those stupid provisioning files that you got to get um, associated with them that makes it difficult. So you have two balls in the air. Yeah, and on the provisioning profiles, it's not only that the provisioning profile is tying a cert to an app, but it's also tying it in development mode, at least to a device. And I ran into this recently, which is uh, Heather gave me her her she got a new iPhone. I got her old iPhone. This led into a world of <laughs> problems because what happened is, is the device was already registered. However, because I reformatted it, it still has similar IDs of the yeah. device, but it's confused. So it's like I, ha- I have a provisioning profile for this device, but when it goes to launch, there's some other key value pair that's saying, uh, 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 I don't think so because I've reset the device, right? It's, it's, it's something else that's in there. So I actually needed to go into the Apple developer to por- portal and delete the devices, which you can only do once a year. So thankfully mm-hmm. I did it once, which is, you know, also ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. And I had to go in there, I deleted every single device. I'm like, let me just start from scratch. And I had that. And now had I not been able to delete those devices this one time a year, I would have run into this problem where I couldn't actually deploy to my device because of this mismatch in, in, in provisioning profiles and devices, which is kind of mind boggling uh, at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I always wonder why that limit is there, because the device list is in the provisioning profile. So there's, there's absolutely no reason you couldn't have a different set of devices for every profile you generate. I think this is Apple's fun attempt at security <laughs> yeah. from people running their own app store or something, you know, like you can't sign off too many devices. So uh, that, that frustrating one year thing is, I, I, I could, I don't forgive it. No, it's stupid. <laughs> they should get rid of it, but it's there as a dumb form of security. The certificates once a year, that makes a little more sense. Not really, though, because it, it's not aligned with you renewing your membership. If, like, you renewed your membership, they gave you a new cert, that would make sense. Mm-hmm. But they're not at all aligned, so that one I don't care about. 
uh, there, there's other issues too. If I, I use um, extensions in my apps and all those need Ooh. provisioning profiles also to be associated correctly. And don't forget all your iCloud um, uh, entitlements, whatever you can, you still have to manage. They're not the entitlements, right? They're the other, they're the like super meta options that you can mm. only manage on Apple's website. So there's always that fun complexity in iOS. Isn't that fun? Keeps it exciting. I believe that provisioning profiles and certificates are sometimes more work than actually developing an app. And <laughs> I was telling someone, because often in my when I do the down in my workshop, it's like, oh, it'd be great to like, you know, show and the publishing in the store and doing all that stuff. I'm like, that's its own workshop. That's just an entire one yeah. day exercise. Of, I'm sorry. Of having to do that. It's, it's the truth. And 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 it only becomes a truth mostly for Apple. However, that being said, the other part of the situation that we won't really get into today, which we've talked about in many previous podcasts, is how the App Store itself as a release mechanism has grown in complexity for the actual metadata you need to uh, uh, bring together to release an application that's ever growing and ever getting more complicated. So half of the time when you want to release an application, you better be thinking darn well ahead of time what screenshots, the verbiage, all these other things that you want to do, else it's a last minute scramble to get it together, <laughs> which is not great because they can only be updated on certain app stores in certain times, which is crazy. But Frank, you are working on Android, which for me, Android, I think has always been the easiest platform. There's, there's a key store. You have one key store, you shove it in Dropbox and you put a TXT <laughs> file that says password next to it. And you use that key store for the next 35 years of development. No, I didn't know about the password text file trick, man. Oh. I've, I've I, <laughs> I, that is half the problem. I, I've learned how to keep the key store. I remember I got to keep this key store. Otherwise, I can't update my own app, which how ridiculous is that? But I think we'll get to maybe it's not as ridiculous anymore as I thought it was. But yeah, that stupid password. <laughs> like, where do you store that? So I'm trying to do this in CI. And it's really not good form to have like your CI going to your Dropbox to download this key <laughs> what? file. So what? I'm not doing it that way, James. <laughs> um, I don't even know if this is the right trick or not. You know what I do? I base64 encode the file. I put it as a GitHub secret. And mm. then in one of my little, you know, actiony scripty lines, I just turn that base64 into a file. Yeah. And that's how I restore the file. Is that the right way to do it? That's how I do it. That's one way of doing it. I think the other way that I've done it in the past is some people like put it in. Well, in, in Azure DevOps, you could just drag and drop your nice. key store, your files in there, and it would put it in secure storage. And then you right. would put your variables also as a, as a private secret variable. Other people I've seen them do, like when I use BitRise, I think it was one time like you could put it in, like if it just had a URL, it would download it right and yeah. curl it and then because the the file is not important i mean the file is important but <laughs> the 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 passwords and the, the things are important to unlock that file at the end of the day so i think regardless of how you get that file whether it's base 64 encoding or not or downloading it from the okay. internet that is totally fine it's a file and however you want to get that file in there is totally good Thank you. That That's very interesting. I never quite thought about it that way. I always thought that that thing was as secretive as the password. No, you can't yeah, get, that you, makes... if, if it's a lock <laughs> and you don't have the key, yeah. how are you going to get into it? I mean, I guess 
unless you had, you'd have to brute force your way into it, you know, in general. Um, but, um, you, you gotta have a, you gotta have, a the other piece of the pie, you know, mm-hmm. move it up. That's great. I think I'm still going to stick with my base 64. Maybe I just don't trust links <laughs> or maybe I would accidentally move the file around in Dropbox and I'd hate to build the crash that way. So I'm probably still going to do it my way, but it, that's a good thought that, yeah, it's probably actually pretty safe to just have a internet link to the file. Yeah. Well, good that point. internet link could be a secret variable. So no one else knows how to get to it. Oh, look at you. I know. It's like, it's like you've done this before. It's uh, <laughs> true, true, Frank. I have done this before. So your base 64 encoder, I like that mechanism, actually, because here's a cool thing about the base 64 encoder that many people may not know. Frank could literally lose his file, but he could recreate mm-hmm. that file because he's base 64 encoded it. He doesn't actually need the file. And I think that's really yeah. smart. And you could get silly and you could re-encrypt it, but don't don't encrypt your encryption. That that could just get silly. <laughs> Um, I do want to say I've I've run into a little bit. I'm not even troubles, but um, my app is still a Xamarin Android app. Mm-hmm. But there's absolutely no reason it needs to be. I really want to get on um, .NET seven now, mm-hmm. and switch it over to be um, uh, yeah .NET Android app. Is that what I should say? Yeah, let's go with that. Yeah, <laughs> and I think that the the signing should be roughly the same because Android apps are very simple. You tell it release build, and then you sign it with that key thing i don't know it, it it looks it's pretty simple from the command line but uh it's always like getting the right version of uh xamarin android installed and all that clears up with .NET 7 so even though i'm going to do this release with xamarin.android i'm looking forward to the simplicity offered by getting all the projects over to be .NET 7 now, the real fascinating part about all of this is that I don't actually believe that any of your signing shenanigans matters anymore because Google Play will re-sign your application anyways. It's an opt-in feature. Oh, my God. It's actually required what? if you're... <laughs> what? It's, it's, it's required <laughs> if you're using App Bundle. So, so Google will re-sign your application. It doesn't matter. Now, I believe if it's an existing application, you need to give them your old key. But if it is a new application, you don't even need to give them their key at all. They will just... They'll just sign James, it automatically. It doesn't matter. Now you tell me how long they've been doing this for like a month or something. How, how did I miss the news on this? I believe about five years. Oh, okay. Interesting. <laughs> well, um, you know, I just, I, I like base 64. Okay. I, I like signing my stuff. I like reading blog posts from five years ago describing how to do this because no one's posted about it since then. And now I'm realizing why I, I like doing that, James. I like the pain and the suffering. <laughs> well, I also want to mention that, you know, even though I've been doing Android forever, and that was my favorite platform for a long time. So I'm very ingrained in that ecosystem. I actually don't know if you still need to sign it, even though if it is being re-signed or not, like because you've always re-signed it, like do only new apps not need to be re-signed? I don't know down that. So my mechanism, Frank, is to do what I've always done for the last 12 years, which is right. take take my key store, <laughs> sign my application, and shove it to Google. And whatever Google does, that's on them. That's Google's business. That's Google, <laughs> that's Google business, right? That That's Google business. I don't care. But I do know, Frank, that at this point, you'll have migrated from APKs to Android app bundles, I would assume, and because it's required. Uh, <laughs> and, and then this new mechanism is required at the end of the day. So 
probably when you go to release this application, Google is going to force you to do this stuff. Yeah, and it, it has been a bit of time since I've done an Android upload. Apologies to all the Android users. Um, so I'm excited to learn what any of what you just said makes any sense. And you know how I love Google's UIs. You know how much I love playing around in their little store UI backend. It's really easy to use. And I'm using a very sarcastic voice right now because every time I log into that thing, I just get angry at Google. But I'm sure I'll figure it out this time. So you're telling me I need an app bundle? I'm going to get on that. I'm going to make you a beautiful app bundle. Good. You know, do you know what a different... But difference between an apk and an android app bundle is frank please tell me it's a okay. file name change <laughs> no well um <laughs> well the different come app on bundle... james what's the what, what what is the difference james between an apk and an app bundle no so well there's a few things in general basically what an android app bundle or aab is android app bundle uh they sort of were created to resolve some of the common packaging challenges in general. So, you know, there's different screen resolutions, performance things, CPU architectures. And the whole idea with an Android app bundle is that they bundle several of these different versions of the application into one logical package. Okay. So this means that in, 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 in previous existence, you could do this into an APK, but as things got bigger, you might have to split different architectures and different things into multiple APKs and then upload them there. Now, mm -hmm. the cool part about Android app bundles is that they, they under the hood, give the Google Play Store or anyone else that supports app bundles a better way of um, modulize, module, modulizing, <laughs> taking modular based like loading and downloading of the application and assets. So what they're able to do is on demand, is they are able to say this user is using this type of device with this type of language and this type of architecture, and they can re-bundle, if you will, your app into a optimized version for them. Whereas previously, what would happen is you would deliver one big APK and the user would get all of that and they'd have a bunch of extra junk that they don't need. So at the same time, the Android app bundle enables them to break apart your application and rebundle it on demand in real time. So what that means is that at the end of the day for you as a developer and for your users is that your applications will be about 50% the size or so, you know, 20 to 50% size smaller than an APK because it will get rid of all the junk that they don't need. Well, I don't like it. <laughs> this seems right. like Google passing on their problem onto us developers. Oh, I'm sorry, Google, that you designed a bad format and <laughs> you have to pay higher server costs. But that sounds like an installation issue. Maybe you should look into things like torrents and distributed file services. There's ways to do it, Google, that doesn't put all the pain and onerous on the app developer. But, okay. That said, in the end, it does help the user. Therefore, I shall do. But um, wow, way to project your problems onto us. Thanks. Thanks, the, Google. The best part, Frank, is for you, app developer, it's just a compilation flag setting. In fact, when you build an Android application with Xamarin Android or .NET for Android, the default in release mode is app bundle. So you get an app bundle. Okay. Yes. Yeah. 
aside from my project is 12 years old and hopefully I don't have any random uh, property set in it that's going to stop that. But yes, let's hope. Let's hope the CI should finish any minute now. <laughs> yes. And in fact, sometimes, and you can publish both at the same time. So there is things. So if you, if you oh, get in your artifacts in APK, that's no good. <laughs> you want an AAB. I am so happy we're having this discussion tonight before I pulled my hair out and I'm like, why can't I upload this thing anywhere? Um, so they are requiring the AAB though, you said, right? I believe starting last year in 2021, it is now required. Now that being said, that might be only for new apps. I'm not sure about oh, existing apps, but right. I got to imagine at this point, they really, really are forcing the hand on it and and to your point you know to your point like there's for you there should be zero little work besides these compilation flags that should have been set for you unless you overrode them for some reason which i can't imagine you doing but mm -hmm. because literally <laughs> i think that what uh peppers and the team did i was blame peppers for everything great is you know john Pryor <laughs> and peppers and john Dick, yeah. so you know all the jonathans and uh i, I believe they changed the default to just say, if you don't pass a flag, AAB is the default instead of APK. Okay, that's nice. I believe. I'll, I'll report back next week. <laughs> you may need when to report back. That might be a .NET 6 change and not a Xamarin Android change. Mm, yeah, um, like I said, I, 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 I even keep debating whether to switch over to .NET 7 for this, but this, this version's tested. I don't want to play any games right before release, but... I think what I'm going to do is have a patch pretty soon afterwards, mm. a patch release uh, where I do upgrade to .NET 7. The really cool part about you just having, you know, just a Xamarin Android app moving to .NET 7 is I remember Pepper's putting out the performance article blog, and I yeah. believe that a Xamarin Android to like .NET 6 and now .NET 7, it's like, you know, 75% faster. It's like crazy. Yeah, and I was already doing AOT. That was taking mm. up a significant amount of the CI CD time where it's actually compiling it all the way down. Um, but what I I thought you were going to reference something else. Maybe it was a tweet or a toot or something like that. <laughs> and <laughs> it said something like, uh, if you have a Xamarin Android app, it should be a 99% easy conversion over to the .NET 6s and 7s. Just I, I haven't done it myself, but I 100% believe it because Android was always a little bit simpler and cleaner yeah. as an implementation. Um, it was just a lot of project files, and I 100% believe them when they say it's going to be an easy transition. I think that what you should be able to do is I think you should be able to go in and create a new .NET 7 Android app. And then I think you should go into your existing Xamarin Android app blow away the CS proj and replace it with the new one and then just yeah. add back the, back the NuGet packages. And I think that's all you need to do. And then you're done. And I would love for you to report on this, like what it actually took, because it's the same thing. For Should iOS. I do it? Yeah. Probably. Are you daring me? No, not, not, not right now in real time <laughs> in the next three minutes as we wrap up this, this oh, podcast. No, you know, but you should <laughs> yes. do it. Okay. Um, valid. Okay. I was going to try to get this thing out sooner than no, that. No, no, no. But... Release your app if you've already okay, tested it. Okay, thank you. Good to go. Yeah. But I'm saying for next week's pod, because mm -hmm. you said you're back to work, you know, yeah. grinding because it's completely dark outside at 2 p.m., <laughs> that you should, you know, be able to crush through this. 
uh, it's all work all the time. There's literally no sunlight to give you a life to live. So it's just going to be work. No, I, I've, <laughs> I'm going to have some expenses next year. So I'm making sure I get my apps out there and refreshed and all that. I, I'm excited though. I, it sounds like that conversion is going to be real easy and you are tempting me to do it for the, this release. But I think I'm going to stay strong and stick with my own plan. And then I'll report back next week. Well, I'm super fascinated in tips and tricks from our listeners for any of the stuff that we mentioned today, because I've been doing the same systems and mechanisms of releasing and shipping and signing applications. But a lot of things have changed. I recently you know, talked to a lot of folks about in-app purchases and different things that they were using. We talked about revenue cap. We talked about other mechanisms. So I'm always open to change and suggestions because at the end of the day, we can help each other in this podcast. We're our own social network that we spin up in a distributed system. Look at that. Every single one of us are our own nodes that we can come together. <laughs> what a beautiful analogy. That's yes. very nicely right. said. So go and to I'm our website. <laughs> go to our website, mergeconflict.fm. There's a contact button. You can Discord us. You can tweet at us. You can tweet at us. You can do all the things. And uh, we appreciate all of you for listening. Um, Frank, thank you for com- coming back. Um, to America, to soil, um, American soil, and uh, the the cold of American soil in the yeah. winter that is happening right now. Winter is here. You know, you left and winter was not even coming, and you came back and winter was here. That happened. It, it it's like I went to a whole different part of the planet, and everything's different. But at least I have my old good great podcasting mic. It's good to be back in front of my beautiful iMac. And yeah, there's nothing else to do in the winter but work. So this will be a fun, fun time. Well, I think that's going to do it, Frank, until next week's podcast. So until next time, I'm James Montemagno. And I'm Frank Krueger. Thanks for listening. Peace. Peace.